0: this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5. I can't even begin to tell you how many times after a Sunday evening service, somebody has remarked, I wish you had preached that message Sunday morning uh, instead. I I really, I I can't explain why there is a difference between Sunday morning and Sunday night. When I say a difference, I'm talking about a difference in whatever it is that I might preach. Other than perhaps Sunday morning, usually it might be a bit more evangelistic than than Sunday night. But uh, I say that because I suspect that the message this morning would be one of those that normally I'd preach on a Sunday night. And uh, it's instead going to be Sunday morning. Now, I've often said before I preach a message, I know I'm going to fail before I begin, because there are some messages that if you're preaching on the cross, for example, you're going to fail before you begin. There's no way you can possibly describe the greatness of the Lord's love. It's impossible. And so all you can do is to do your best. But this morning, I I feel like I need to say I know I'm going to fail before I begin because, and usually this would be one of the most shameful things for a preacher to admit, and something that I probably never would because I would pretend even if I wasn't prepared, but I don't really feel, uh, I I really don't feel quite right preaching this message because I'm not ready to preach this message. This is one that you know I would rather wait until I've uh until I've worked on my outline and uh given more thought to it and so on and so forth but uh, I feel strongly God uh, wants me to do otherwise I'm just hoping and praying that none of those guys that I taught in homiletics class in college several years ago I hope none of them are watching this morning I hope they're preaching somewhere but I hope they're not listening to the manner because this is going to be kind of one of those, you know, uh, just rambling around. But it's all going to focus on one thing this morning, and I'm going to give you about a dozen points. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to camp long on any one of those. But there's several things that I'm going to mention in regards to this, and that is dealing with people you don't like. Dealing with people that you dislike. One of the most important lessons you can teach a child is how to get along with others. And some of them are better at it than others are. Those of you that work in the nursery, you know exactly what I mean. And boy, the you know the bigger they get, as soon as they can get up, big enough they can walk around, crawl around, run around. And grab toys also all of a sudden it turns into a free for all and there 's always some kid you know that wants to you know it 's kind of the establish the pecking order and try to uh, try to take control of everything and uh, wants everything to be his or her way and uh, i 've got to confess growing up i wasn't uh, i wasn 't very good at getting along with others, even my best friends. Uh, those that I call my best friends, my very best friend, I put in the hospital by beating him over the head with a baseball bat. And and, uh, literally, and I'm not proud of that, but I look back on that foolish mistake I made, and I I, I didn't like people. I really didn't. I'm just being honest. The way I was as a kid, I, uh, you know, I I just didn't really make me any difference. I just... There was just one important person in this world, and that was me. That was kind of my mindset. I didn't get along good with anybody. It might have been my teammates on the baseball team. I didn't get along good with them, with nobody else, because it's always about me. Jason, on the other hand, I don't guess Jason's here today, he gets along with anybody. It, it, unbelievable, amazing. If you can't get along with Jason Baker, you've got a problem, because I'm he can get along with anybody. But I've had to try to learn to get along with people. And it's sometimes a difficult experience. And by the way, some people never learn how to get along with other people. And that does a terrible thing to the society that we live in. And if you don't believe that, just look at Washington. Here we have the leaders of our country, those that are, you know, supposedly establishing the rules by which we regulate our society and those that should be set an example for the younger generation and they're fighting like cats and dogs and dishonest as they can be. Well, I've got to tell you, I don't really expect a return to civility in politics anytime soon. But let me tell you, it's certainly expected among Christians. Of all people, we ought to love our neighbors we ought to be at peace with one another, and uh, I'm afraid we fail more than what we really want to admit. Because the fact of the matter is, sometimes there are people that we just don't like. And I've met some people who don't seem to really like anyone. You ever met anybody like that? You may, you may be thinking, "Yeah, I'm married to somebody like that. They don't like anybody." Well. <laughs> You know, as a Christian, you know, we would like to say, oh, I love everybody. You know, we might love everybody, but we really don't like everybody. And that can lead to serious problems, especially in church. It can create divisions. It can become destructive. And so it's a matter that we need to deal with. Here in Matthew chapter 5, and this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, the very first part of it, I wish I had time to read all of the way through here. You get down to the end of the Beatitudes there where he's talking about peacemakers and he's talking about uh, our enemies, those that are going to persecute us and so forth. And then he goes on down around verse number 22 and he talks about being angry at one another. And you get down to verse 24 and he talks about bringing your gift to the altar. And there you remember that your brother hath ought against you. And the Lord says, just leave your gift at the altar. You can't worship me, you know, in such a state as that. And you go first and be reconciled to your brother. And then you come back and then you can worship me. So you see how so much of this revolves around our relationships with one another. And it goes on and on. I mean, it's just really beginning there, but for time's sake, I want to, I want to pick up the, pick up the story in verse 38. The Lord said, ye have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Probably some of those fellows listening that scratching their head thinking, really? And if any man will sue thee at thy law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away." Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them, that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise. on For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Heavenly Father, we bow this morning before you, realizing that we are a sinful people in need of forgiveness. We are a weak people, Lord, in need of strength. And Lord, we are sometimes a confused and misled people and we need the wisdom that only You can give. And we just pray this morning that You'll bless the reading of Your Word, that You'll use it to the strength of our heart, that You'll use it in order to direct our minds that we might have the mind of Christ in all things. We pray, Lord, that You'll help us to love others even as You've loved us. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, whenever we look through these things that our Lord just mentioned here, obviously we, uh, we quickly recognize that this is a difficult task. Right? Turn the other cheek. That, that's hard to do. Because there's something in us that when we're struck, we want to strike back. And somebody compels you to go a mile and he says, go two. In other words, you do twice as much as what is expected of you. Why, Why would we do that? We're letting others take advantage of us. That's hard. But let me tell you what I think is probably the most difficult part of all of this. Disliking people. And most of us Christians, we want to put our best foot forward. We want to leave the impression with everybody that we love everybody. We couldn't possibly dislike anybody. And probably the hardest thing for us to do is to admit that we have failed in this area. We want to hide the truth about ourselves. We want other people to think, you know, that we're just... uh, We're just a little bit unlike Jesus. The fact of the matter is, we are a whole lot unlike Jesus. I just wonder, what if one by one, let's suppose we had you stand out there in the hall, nobody else there, just you. You're standing there, and one by one we dismiss the church and had each member to walk by stop right in front of you, stretch out their hand, shake hands with you, and ask, do you like me? Uh, I'm just trying to be honest now when I say I think some people would lie. Oh, yeah, I like you. No, they don't. But they're going to tell you they do. Or, you know, unable to say yes, truthful like some of your ways. Now really, when you think about that, that seems fair enough, right? Yeah, I like you, I just don't like some of your ways. let me ask you, wouldn't it be better if we like them regardless of their ways? Now let that sink in a little while. I like you, I just don't, I just don't like your ways. But, but think about what a difference it would make if we could honestly say, I like you regardless of your ways. Because after all, we can all find something we don't like about every person. Even those we like most whether it's your spouse, your children, your parents, or whoever it is, the people that you like most in this congregation, with just 30 seconds of thought, you can think of something that you don't really like about them. So, uh, shouldn't we just love one another anyway? Yeah, we don't like what others do. We don't like everything that we do in all of our ways. But the problem is if we don't get a handle on this, all of a sudden our dislike for others begins to grow and to grow and to grow in its intensity. And after a while, you know, we despise them and uh, we neither like nor love them. It's not just a problem of despising their ways, all of a sudden we're despising them. I think it would be wise to tell everybody you know exactly how we feel whenever we can be honest about it and let them know, yes, there is no question in my mind regardless of who you are or what you've done, I like you, I love you. Naturally, there's some things about the person. But Why do we always have to magnify those things about the person that we dislike? And for us to deny that there are people here that we don't really like uh, is to is to just sweep it under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist and it never goes away. It just gets worse and it gets worse. So the first thing we've got to do is to acknowledge and confess the fact that there are some people that we just we just have a tendency not to like. Boy, it's quiet in here this morning. Last week there was a lot of amens and Brother Ron was shouting hallelujah even in dialysis I guess. I don't know, but it's really quiet, and I think I know why. I think I know why. But the next thing that's absolutely necessary is that we humble ourselves. You know, that's the thing that keeps us from confessing that we fail is the fact that we have pride in our heart. We don't want to admit that we failed. We don't want to make that acknowledgement. Let me tell you, there is nothing on this earth that causes more harm than pride. It's destructive and it's foolish. And by the way, since none of us are perfect, then, then none of us have a reason to boast. Well, what do we have to boast about? I mean, what is it about us that makes us think that we're better than somebody else? We're just imperfect in different ways. Yeah, we, we don't like this about them, and we don't like that about them, but we're no better than they are. We're just, as I said, imperfect in different ways. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I know, but, but, you know, I'm not as bad as they are. If that is the case, it's only by the grace of God. And you better be careful about saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'd never do what they did. You're just ripe for the picking. That's why Paul said we better take heed about boasting that you know that we'd never do such and such because we'll end up falling, and that's the truth. So we've got to humble ourselves and admit that that Lord, I know it shouldn't be this way, but I I I just have a terribly difficult time caring about this person or that person. Now I want you to look at verse 46. Here's something else that we need to think about, and that is we need to consider the cost in regards to this matter. Notice what the Lord said, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? In other words, He's simply trying to let us know here, There is no reward in doing good to others only because they're doing good to us. It's just natural that we do good to those who do good to us. So there's no reason to expect a reward for that. The reward is received when we do as we should regardless of what the other person does. If we do something only because of what we gain from it, let me tell you, if we do something only because of what we gain from it, there is no virtue in it and no reward for it. Amen. That's, that's the point Jesus is trying to make. Even the publicans do that. You do good to them, they'll do good to you. But boy, the minute that you don't measure up to their expectations, let me tell you, you're on their list. And sadly, there are too many times when we've got our list. And we need to burn it. Then we need to consider what what they might be going through. Now, I said at the very beginning, I, I'm, I'm a- apologetic because for ever since my back got better, my, my neck, I, I got a pinched nerve and I can't even read for more than 30 seconds without r- bad problems and so forth. So I've tried to study and Bev knows better than anybody. You could lock me away in my study and leave me there near 23 hours a day you know i nothing i enjoy more than that and uh, i i I've, I've just not been able to do that and so all week long i thought i know what it is the lord wants me to preach but but, but you know i i want to i want to work on this and i want to make sure that i've really got it where i can deliver it in a way that that it's kind of like i want to i want to construct the message so that the Lord will be able to bless it just like He couldn't if I didn't. Does that make any sense? You see how confused we preachers can get? Sometimes we think it's all it's all about what we do, and it's really not. And I don't generally get up and in a sermon just give you a laundry list of things that need to be done, but that's exactly what I'm doing. And number four on that list, we need to consider what that person might be going through. You know, we all act out of character sometimes. And there can be contributing factors that we don't know anything about. You see somebody do something that is definitely wrong, there's no doubt about it. But what you don't know is what they're going through. And and they might not be inclined to tell you. There are people right here this morning that have got problems they'll never tell you about, but they're serious problems. They're great needs in their life. They don't get up and make a big public to do about it or anything like that. And it's real easy for us to become judgmental of them and accuse them of, you know, whatever, as though they, you know, were unworthy of our affection. And I've often spoke about it, especially in the last year or so, whenever I was a younger preacher, and, uh, and and the expectations I had for my family, for my children, for my wife, and Bev could be sick as a horse, you know, and not feel like going to church, but she knew that if she didn't go, you know, I would give her that look and the cold shoulder and treat her like, you know, oh, well, yeah, uh-huh. Anybody else ever been guilty of doing that let let me tell you what God has a way God has a way of turning things upside down that whenever you don't appreciate the pain and the suffering and the problems a person has, God has a way of giving you some of that and let me tell you I can honestly say. I don't judge her, you, or anybody. If you tell me you're too sick to be in church, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe you. You say, yeah, but they might be lying. If they are, God's their their judge, not me. I'm, why should, why should I call them a liar? I mean, they know. I, look, you never know all of the details. You don't know what they're going through. You look around and see, well, they're so-and-so's not here again today. You know, I, I guess they're just backslidden cold and indifferent. You have any idea what they're going through right now? Let me tell you, it would shock you. I mean, Bev and I right now can sit down and make a list and we were talking about it the other day of the things going on right now this second with all the different members of our family. It's like, Lord, what in the world is going on? What has happened? What have we done? What's caused this? And everybody here has got their story. It's not just what Bev and I are going through, it's what we're all going through. You have your story. You're not at liberty maybe to get up and to tell this is what's going on in my life. That, that's not your place to, to try to explain everything to everybody else. But we need to understand when we're dealing with people that we might not like as much as we should, we need to understand there might be something going on in their life we don't know about. But here's something else you can put on your list. And that is we don't know what they've been through. What they're going through is one thing. What they've been through is another thing. You see, there are these contributing factors and we're all to some some extent... We're all the product of the world that we live in and the things that happen. It's not just all about nature, it's also about nurture. It's about the things that happen to us. And again, we could have one person after another stand up, and, and and if God gave them liberty to do it, they could stand up and tell horror stories about what they've been through in their life. You don't know it. You don't know it. Some of you don't know, and since since she's not a member here now, one of our members up until just a few years ago was the first victim of this boxcar rapist killer that went all over and... Uh, And that dear lady was a member of our church, his very first victim. You don't know what people have been through. And so many times we think, well, I just don't like the way they respond to this, or I don't like the way they respond to that. If you had been through what they'd been through, you probably would have done a whole lot worse than they did. They don't owe you an explanation. Maybe it would help if we would just look at their good points also. You know, some of the best neighbors I've ever had were unsaved people. Really? Now, I know the Bible says there's none good, no, not one, and that's true. In God's judgment, we're all sinners, none of us are good, but there are some good things about about nearly everybody. You, you, you've probably heard some people say, you know, before I was a Christian, I found more fellowship, more companionship in the bar than I did in the church. Let me tell you, there's a lot of truth to that. Before I ever got saved, Bev and I, we had our circle of friends Those men that I worked with, those men that, that we become like an extended family one to another and we would get together and if something happened, we were there for each other and back up each other. Let me tell you, a lot of churches, a lot of churches, you can't, you can't find that kind of a connection. I thank God that I believe this church is an exception to that, to that. If there's a lot of churches you go, you you can be a member twenty years and feel disconnected. There are some good things about people, and we, so many times, all we want to do is emphasize the bad things about them. Then I think we ought to consider what uh, what they might become. I can't help as I started out the message this morning talking about you know before I was a Christian growing up as a boy that I didn't care about anybody else. I had the same attitude whenever we got married. I I thought Bev was beautiful. I was in love with her to the extent that I could be in love with anybody else. By that, I mean that I wanted her and no other woman in the world. I mean, she was... You know, she was exactly what I wanted, but I didn't know what love was. I really didn't. And I think about all of the people that I hurt in those years before I was saved, including mom and dad and everybody else that I knew. And I think about people that I hurt, and it is so amazing to me that they didn't just cut me out of their, out of their life. And I can guarantee you there is nobody that had any idea that someday that guy is going to become a preacher and a pastor of a church. (laughs) I told Mama that I got saved and, you know, and uh, it was two months later after getting saved, I surrendered to preach. Mom's response was, well, it won't last. Boy, just the kind of encouragement you need. It won't last. And ordinarily it wouldn't because she knew me. But she really didn't know the Lord. And when He begins a good work in you, He'll finish it. Whenever you start thinking about those people that you dislike so much, would you please just stop for a little while and think about what they might become you know to you you might look at them and and that might seem like trash but to god he sees a treasure in those people and we need we need to stop and think about what they might become let me show you something else i want you to look in uh, Matthew 5 and look at verse 16 and put this on your list. Consider that you might be their last best chance. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now look at verse number 48. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Why are we in this world? Everybody knows it'd be a lot better to be with Jesus, right? That's what the Bible says: to depart and to be with Christ would be far better, not just a little bit better, it'd be far better. Now, I think about that old song that says, "I'm homesick for heaven, I've got a longing to go, and every time I start thinking about heaven, man, I, you know you, you just get homesick. There's just nothing like thinking about heaven, but we're here for a reason. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, but we're to be a light to this world. Why? So that they might see in us something of the Father. You see, God doesn't want you to live like a monk in a monastery tucked away, isolated from the rest of the world somewhere. God wants you to be salt and light to the world. He wants you to be in contact with the world. If you're in the public school system, you can spend all your time cursing how bad the public school system is or you can determine that God's going to let you be a light in that system and show others the way to Jesus Christ. You might, there at your place of employment or school or wherever it is, you might be the last best chance that person has to ever turn their life around. Something else we need to do is to, as he said, go the extra mile. That's what he says here, if a man compels you to go with him one mile, go two. In those days, remember, the Roman government was in control and the Roman soldiers could come by. They could stop at the residence of a Jewish man and say, here you dog, take my backpack and carry it. By law, they were required to to drop everything they're doing and to carry that load for one mile. Some of those Jews, historians tell us, knowing that was the case, they measured off from their gatepost a mile, 5,280 feet, boy, right down the road, and they drove a stake in the ground. The law required them to go that far and to go no further. You get the picture, this Roman soldier comes by with his heavy load of equipment and he drops it down, says, here, take this, carry it for me. He starts counting it off, 5,280 feet. There's his mile marker right there and he lays it down and walks away. Jesus said, nope, that's not enough. I want you to go two miles. Go the extra mile. Let me tell you, we ought to be extra mile Christians. I've often said uh, it'd almost be a good thing if somebody started a church and called it the Extra Mile Baptist Church. We need to go the extra mile. That's the point he's making here. He tells us to turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Why is that so important? It's important because it's an evidence of love. You've heard people say, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's true. You know, people could come in every week and they could sit here and I could get up and expound on the great doctrines of the Bible and I could talk about how important it is that we have a proper understanding of God. And and look, there's a time and a place for all of that. And we could spend all of our time in theology and so forth. and And boy, we could get everybody really, you know, grounded in the facts of the Bible, but if we never demonstrate love to them, it's not going to make any difference in their life. That's what this is all about. This matter of learning, of learning, and dealing with people that we ordinarily don't like. And that requires us to love one another. If you're wondering, well, what does it mean to love each other, go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it tells us clearly there exactly what love looks like. Let me give you two more things. Number one, you need to ask God for help. because I'm telling you, whenever the Bible says, love your enemies, that's a bigger job than you're able to take care of yourself. I'll never forget, I'm not at liberty to tell you everything that some of the things and stuff that happened to some of my girls, but I'll never forget a cop telling me, don't you dare go up there. He stopped me because the barber in town had told me who knew the situation and told me where it was, and he told the cop and who was a Somewhat of a friend of mine. And the cop looked me up and stopped me and said, Whatever you do, don't you go up there. You'll end up in jail if you do. If I'd have gone up there, I would have killed somebody. Or hurt them bad enough they'd wish they were dead. And I'd left my wife without a husband and my other seven kids without a daddy. Maybe I should have said all eight of my kids actually. Let me tell you, when the Bible talks about turning the other cheek, forgiving your enemies, loving your enemies, and stuff like that, it's more than you and I are able to handle. We've got to ask God for help. It's so refreshing last week, and I heard people commenting on it. To see people coming forward for prayer and I don't understand why that's not a regular occurrence in any church service anywhere. I mean, I can't imagine us having Sunday school in a church service and studying the Word of God and preaching the Word of God and not finding something we need to pray about. And if the truth is known, there are people right here this morning that could look around and they could look straight into the face of somebody they just don't like. And I'm telling you, you ought to be up here on your knees before this service ends. But then one more thing. Don't just ask God for help. You need to ask God to help the others. You know, it's one thing to ask God to help you to love them. It's another thing to ask God to help them. I love what Samuel the prophet said when he was speaking of Israel. Now remember, Israel had just committed a horrible sin in that they demanded a king from God. Give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. We don't want you ruling over us. We want a king. God said, "All right, I'll give you a king. Saul. Wow, from the human standpoint, he appeared to be the very best that mankind had to offer. He was taller than anybody, and I mean had all of the qualifications. God said, there he is, that's going to be your king. They had turned their back on God and what God wanted. But listen to what Samuel the prophet said. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. There have been a few times in my over 50 years of ministry now that I have felt like closing this blessed old book, walking out of the pulpit saying, I'm through, I'm finished, I will not subject myself and my family to this trap anymore. I'm just telling you how I felt at the time. It's real easy for a pastor especially to to decide, you know, I'm not going to let people hurt me. I'm going to build this wall around me. And I'm going to do my job. I'm going to get up and I'm going to tell them how it is and I'll give them the truth and I'll walk out that door and I'll leave and they can take it or leave it, do whatever they want with it. And any pastor that has that attitude ought to go ahead and do the honest thing and resign and quit preaching. Because he's nothing more than a hindrance to the church. Me, I, I, let me give you this, and I'm through. Almost. Because I've got one other thing I want to say after this. The best advice I could ever give any preacher, and this goes for everyone is that we have got to learn to work with other people as they are, not as we wish they were or as they ought to be. Let me repeat that. We've got to learn to work, to worship, to live, to interact with other people as they are, just like they are. Folks, if we don't learn that, we're never going to be at peace in this world. What are you going to do? Go home and say to your husband or wife, look, I've been thinking about it, and I found three things about you I really don't like. And you're going to fix them or we're through. What? Man, let me tell you, Bev's got a list a whole lot longer than that for me, but thank God she's never written me off, and she stuck with me nevertheless. That's what I'm saying. We've got to learn to work together with one another. To work together with people as they are. Not as we wish they were or even as they ought to be. They, they don't measure up to God's standard. They don't measure up to your expectation. They should, yes they should, but they don't. We've got to love them anyway. And I said there was one more thing I want to say, and that's this, and I promise I'm through. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not a child of God, if you don't have a right relationship with God, you will never ever be able to have quality, good relationships with other people. It's impossible. The only reason that I began truly loving my wife, my kids, and even people that I didn't like, I began to love. The only reason for that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that changed me. It's not that I changed. He changed me. And I want you to know if you're here today and you've never been saved, whatever you do, Whatever you do, don't leave here without knowing in your heart that you're a child of God. You say, "Well, preacher, but I there's some things I have I, I got some questions." Come on up here and let us help you. Maybe you're a woman. And you're thinking, "Well, I don't, I don't want a man dealing with." It. Well, come on, my wife oh, she'll help you. Some of these other ladies be glad to help you. Whoever you are, don't you dare walk out that door not having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're a child of God with hard feelings and bitterness toward your heart in your heart toward somebody else, you need to settle that. It might be you need to go to them and make mention of it if they know it. If they don't know it, don't tell them. Just come and tell God. Confess it to Him. While we stand, those awaiting baptism, if you would please... If, you, if the church has already acted such as we did earlier, if you would, go right ahead to the dressing room. Brother Kenneth will be up there in just a minute. For the rest of you, simply just ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to do? And then do it. Will you do that this morning while we sing together? Come on, right now. Have thine thine own way.